I'm a first responder. Occasionally. Uh, uh, not because I've had training or I've had any experience in it, but I can think of at least twice when there was a phone call late at night and it began with dad. <laughs> and two of my children, one at a time, had been in an auto accident and after, you know, I don't know if I got called before 911 or after, but each said, Dad, I've been in an accident. Please get down here quick. And so I responded. I was, uh, I got up, got out of bed, and uh, <clears throat> went and helped them. And one of the things that always happens to me on these phone calls is, of course, you ask, are you okay? Well, they're, they're shooken. I mean, they're shaken up, and they're, they're not okay. But physically, they were okay. So I was thanking God that they were not seriously injured or killed. I have... Still two kids, but two less cars uh, all these years later. Uh, and as you know, I like old cars. Okay. So, uh, so the cars were totaled, but the kids were fine. And this is hard to picture, but this happened right here in Evergreen uh, on one of these hill, uh, steep hills. And, and I remember getting to my son, and when I, I saw where he was outside of the car... And I saw my, was it, 96 Buick. It was, um, the wheels were three feet off the ground, and the nose was halfway into the exterior wall of a garage, pointed down like that. So I look at my son, I say, are you okay? My gosh, I don't know how you got out of that, okay? And the second question I asked was, how do you do that? <laughs> There's no way a car can get in there that way. Um, it was... Amazing. I am not a trained first responder. I am a dad first responder. We started to use the term first responder and became familiar with that when we lost 411 of them and one service dog at the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001, almost 15 years ago. The total number of victims was 2,977. We lost 411 first responders. That means about one in six were first responders. Eight were emergency technicians. 23 were police from the New York Police Department. 37 were Port Authority Police Department officers. And 343 were from the Fire Department of New York. One in six. Almost all of those 411 were outside and came in. Hollywood has tried to depict the decisions that some of these people had to make. Many of these Hollywood depictions have been fairly dark, and, and, and I, I can't tell you if they are really accurate or not. But when Hollywood tried to talk about it, it shows that several commanders were looking at their, at their firefighters and they said to them, look, I can't ask you to go in. But I'm going in and all of you that want to, please come in. Um, <clears throat> most of them went in. Some did not. And we have heard through Hollywood, I can't tell you personally, that they've gone through terrible seasons of shame and guilt not understanding why they would survive and their best friends did not. Whole 
fire departments or hold um, uh, firehouses had to be rebuilt uh, in terms of its staff. Uh, <clears throat> a first responder is defined by the National Association of First Responders, any individual who runs towards an event and not away. They designate 88 types of first responders. Uh, some of them I've been involved with first responders. I think they ought to be taken off the list. But certainly the, uh, the fire, the police, uh, the emergency technicians, they belong right there at the top. Uh, <clears throat> these are 88 types of mainly government responders. Uh, here at Bergen Park Church, we have our own sort of, you might say, local first responders. Uh, we have a security detail. So if any of you uh, <clears throat> feel like your life is in danger, these guys and girls are right here to help you. More than that, we have 20 uh, at least who are trained in resuscitation and defibrillation. So if I faint, there's going to be people all around me, okay? They're just going to come up and help. We usually get this title of first responder because someone has gone through training and, and they have a, a certain amount of experience. These are all on the human level. They've gone, you know, they've gone to class and they've been there uh, when the calls come in. So you might say this is uh, human training, human experience. But let me ask, like every one of us as an individual, have you ever found yourself calling on God before you run toward an event? Do you believe that there is a God who does intercede, who does empower people, who gives wisdom and that goes beyond training? Do you believe there is a God who performs miracles and, and, and miracles that are beyond human explanation? I believe in such a God and rely on him in every emergency. And I found prayer to provide what I call a heavenly power a heavenly experience that cannot be duplicated by any training or any number of calls that I've gone on. Now, some of you, this morning is an answered prayer. This is the 22nd message in Ephesians. And you've been praying, how long, Jim? How long? Okay. <laughs> and I get that. But we have worked our way through very slowly the entire book. And we have found that we've, you know, this, this letter that has been written by the Apostle Paul to this uh, small band of Christians in probably the second or third largest city in the Roman Empire called Ephesus on the coast of Turkey, um, that he writes it when he has some downtime. He has a little time on his hand. He's under house arrest. He's not going anywhere. And he writes to encourage these people. His letter is being drafted in Rome and being sent to them on the, on the coast of Turkey. And as we look at this letter, we understand that... Uh, Paul twice breaks out in prayer for the Ephesian Christians, asking that God would bless them, continue to bless them, and empower them and give them all the knowledge that they want. The first half of these six chapters is all about bragging on God, God's abilities. And so if you're reading the last three and you don't understand the first three, you're in trouble because you don't understand the God behind this letter. And he's, as he explains it as we get to the end, He's saying to them, I want you to make sure that you're praying because prayer enters you into the heavenly battle, not just the earthly battle. There is a spiritual going uh, battle going on, and prayer is one of the weapons or the tools that you have to win in the spiritual battles. So often what we see here on earth 
you know, is being waged in different ways in heaven. And, of course, our training usually equips us to handle what's going on right now on this horizontal plane. But we came to understand on 9-11 that there's real evil in the world. I think we would understand that evil is not confined to any one faith or any one ethnicity. It's a human trait. We have all, we all have this, uh, this, uh, unfortunate capacity to hurt people physically, emotionally, every possible way. And that there is evil in the earth and evil on the earth. So what Paul is talking about here is he is trying to tell them now as he ends this that here is how you use prayer. And you might say his instructions are fairly general, but what he wants to do first is to take them through some basic training about prayer, and then he's going to get into what we call the combat experience. What happens when the building is on fire and you're told to run in? So the basic training, because I know many of the backgrounds that some of you have been through, is to understand that we often talk about prayer as something that we do as individuals. But prayer, as Paul writes about it, is always plural and not single. In other words, he's telling everybody to pray the same way. But more than that, he's telling them to pray together in groups. Not just in crises that you face alone. We know that Jesus often secludes himself so that he has time to, uh, to, to handle the, the basic situations he's facing in prayer, and he does it alone. But we also know that when his disciples come to him and say, Lord, you're getting a way to pray. Could you teach us to pray? Could you teach us to pray? Because we don't seem to know how to do it like you do. And so... That is when he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Now, some of you are from a background where you're told it's the Our Our Father, okay? It's called the Our Father. Well, the Our Father is the Lord's Prayer. And notice that the key word there, the first word, is Our. I don't sit and pray Our. I sit and pray My. He's telling them that this is a prayer that should be done together. And so when you're wondering how to pray disciples when you're together, start here with our Father who art in heaven. The second thing about basic training about prayer is that it's relational and not uh, and, and not so much a ritual. What do I mean by relational versus ritual? Uh, I've known some people who were told that when they were with their religious leader, and uh, they ask what they should do. The religious leader says, well, you ought to go say 10 Our Fathers and 12 Hail Marys, and, and, and that's what you should do. Okay. And so you say it, and in a way you've, you, you've, you believe that you've met the conditions. But the word here is Father. And he uses the word Abba, meaning Dad or Daddy. The idea is not how many times this prayer would be said, but the one to whom Jesus is addressing. And more than once, Jesus is found getting away, and and especially at the most deepest crisis of his life, that is what he is praying. Abba, Father, all things are possible with you. Jesus prayed, Daddy, not old great one, 
Oh, majestic one. Not oh, distant one. But he said, dad. Second thing, uh, final thing is that obedience and faith sort of go together with prayer. They dovetail. They, they, they merge so that when we say, well, I'm praying for this and I believe God will do this. The, the other issue is, is, do you have a willingness to obey when you pray? At a very teachable moment, uh, the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. Lord, would you increase our faith? It says in Luke chapter 17. And he replied, you have faith, or if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree. Why did he say this mulberry tree? Because the mulberry tree was this mulberry tree. He pointed right to it. Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. The question is, would they then pray that prayer? Would they then, you know, if they sense there is a need, would they pray it? And more than that, if they prayed it and they sense God was going to answer it, would they be involved in the answer? What do I want to mean by that? 1973, I hear a stirring message on becoming a missionary, being willing to go anywhere, anytime with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I say, yes, Lord, that's for me. I have faith that I can be a missionary. 1975, I get an invitation to be a missionary. Why am I so afraid and reluctant? I have a little bit of faith. What I don't have is the will to be, why am I so afraid? More than that, hey, I'm not going to be with headhunters and cannibals. I'm going to Sydney, Australia, a world-class city. Why am I so afraid? Because I want the other side of the Pacific. That's why. I've been two days in Canada and one day in Tijuana. I'm a missionary. It's, he's saying, okay, it doesn't take a lot of faith, but it may take a lot more obedience than you are aware of. Uh, the Bible is filled with humorous things where, where they say, laugh at your heroes. There was an instance in, in Acts chapter 12 where Peter is arrested. And through a miracle, he is uh, uh, released from jail. I mean, it is a miracle. No person released him. The gates opened and he walked out. And he, he suddenly realized, hey, God did this. So all this time that he's arrested, there's a, a group of believers who are praying for his release, praying for his safety. And, and, um, and, and so uh, Peter, they are located in a common house, a, a safe house, a, a Christian home there in, in Jewish Jerusalem. And he goes there looking for safety and he knocks on the door and he knocks on it while somebody is praying. You know, this group is praying for him. He knocks and a servant girl comes to it. She opens the door. She sees Peter and she can't believe it. She slams the door, leaving Peter outside and he continues to knock. Slams the door and this lady, the servant uh, lady named Rhoda goes to this praying group and she says, Peter's outside. And they say, that's impossible. Peter's in prison. You know what they just said? God doesn't answer prayer. 
At least not our prayer. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing to do, but don't expect him to get involved. And, uh, no, she goes, it's really Peter. And they get up and they, you know, they open the door and all this time, please, please let me in. He doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want to yell because he'll be arrested again. This, we have to understand that it just takes a little faith, but with a little faith, it may take a lot of obedience. I pray specifically for something or someone, and God often answers that prayer by involving me in that answer. If you pray for courage or wisdom or opportunity, what happens when God, God's answer comes to you? If God opens the door because you prayed for him to open a door and, God, and, and, and the door is actually open, what are you going to do? Stand and look. Or are you going to walk through? So now, you see, what Paul is saying here is that he's trying to encourage a small minority in a very big city to pray specifically and to pray specifically when they are challenged. So, you know, it is uh, you know, Paul living a life as a prisoner who doesn't have the freedom that he wants to, who might soon be condemned. But in the meantime, he's helping them pray and he himself is praying while he is chained. And here is just the first uh, just two or three verses where he prays. In verse 18, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. So now it comes time, okay, this is the situation. This is not background training. This is the situation. What's the first thing you do? You pray in the Spirit. You shake your head. How do I do that? In the Spirit basically means pray in alignment with what you believe God wants. I used to be praying all the time that I would be rich and handsome. God only gave me one of those. And I'm thankful for it. What do you pray for? Because sometimes when the answer is no, it might mean, you know, not now, but sometimes that's not really in alignment with what I want to get done. So when he's saying pray in the spirit, you may be praying that certain people be delivered. There were masses of people who were praying for this uh, uh, Iranian pastor to be set free. But when he got set free, there was other things waiting for him at home. Today, there was, is among us a, a young boy that we prayed for right over here in a circle about five, six months ago. And as we prayed, we prayed for a medical recovery. It is so great to see him here today. I was involved in that prayer. So when, uh, you know, as I've worked through over the years, how do I pray in alignment? Well, I go back to this, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it begins with that what? That God will be honored through whatever his answer is. Am I willing to honor him? And that God's will will be done more than my will being done. That God might have a certain thing that he wants done. And, and you know what? It, it is not in alignment with what I'm thinking should happen. 
I sometimes have an urge as to what God's will is. And I want to say this. Anytime people in a marriage that is under stress come and they say, hey, we need help. I pray that they'll be reconciled. Why not? I think that's God's will. If there's any major decision that people are asking for prayer in, you know what I pray? That God would be honored for it. Not just that they would be healed, but that God would get honor because he has stepped in. Uh, Addictions being broken, hearts being healed, faith being restored, salvation being granted. Pray in alignment with God. It also says, because it's mentioned three times, the word all, all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests for all God's people. So we're told especially to pray for God's people, but the word all means comprehensive. Just just let it flow. Go from subject to subject, from person to person. It's very easy for me to pray for myself. I know how to do that very easily. I, I'm aware of my needs. But when it says comprehensive, it means going beyond my own needs. The three alls talk about going beyond myself. This world is not made, and it's not all made up for me. So lately I've been praying for the leadership of Bergen Park Church. We, we've we had a wonderful season here at Bergen Park Church. I hope you are praying for your country. I don't know how many elections I've been through, but this one's weird. <laughs> and I don't know how it's going to end up. I don't know who's going to win. And I'm not, I'm not here to tell you to vote for one or for, for the other. But I, I just can't remember scratching my head and say, what is going on in this country? For all, all. Here's something else I've started doing, sort of re-emerging. If I'm in a casual conversation with somebody and it's time for it to end, before we uh, split apart, I often look at that person and say, by the way, how can I be praying for you? And um, I don't know, but most people are caught off guard. Why would you do that? Or that question is rarely asked of me. Why would you do that? Oh, I don't know. I'm supposed to pray for all things in all situations, and you're you're one of the all. And we're here face to face. And and when when it turns around and people, you know, say, "Well, Jim, how can I pray for you?" I'm often caught off guard too. I wasn't expecting it. So the answers can be stymied because we're not we're we're not in tune with the all part of prayer. Let it be comprehensive. He also says, let it be proactive. That's what be alert means. I think first responders are probably better at this than anybody. I'm afraid to bring firemen to my house. You know why? How old is your uh, fire extinguisher? Let's see. I think I moved here 20 years ago. It was here waiting for me. So it has really matured in those 20 years. Uh, did you realize that these stairs aren't safe? Didn't have a clue. You're sure they're not safe? It's funny, I go up and down all the time. Why aren't they safe? Uh, did you know that your fire, uh, your smoke alarm is not connected? Yeah, I knew that. Because <laughs> it went off all the time. <laughs> they know how to be alert. They know how to look for things. They're trained in this as first responders. It's telling us to be proactive. I pray for my children and for their future. 
I see the decisions that they're making and where these decisions are leading. Uh, I, I, I pray for the future of Bergen Park Church, understanding, you know, the things that are going on in the next two to three years here. I, I, I pray for my community, and I understand, you know, that uh, tensions are getting high because we've been promised that Route 74 will be repaired for about 18 months, you know. And I hear people talking to me about Highway 74. I said, it's coming, it's coming. Uh, <clears throat> He's saying, keep your eyes open as your mouth talks to God. Then he says, always. In other words, we're always, we're comprehensive, but we're also persistent. We keep on praying without ceasing, as he told uh, a church in northern Greece. And, and Jesus loves to talk about persistence of prayer. And he has two parables. Uh, he has one about somebody who knocks on a door late at night asking for food for a guest who's come in late. He also talks another one about a widow uh, who goes to court and who pleads for justice. And, and she keeps nagging the, the judge. And, and I love this one because uh, the, the judge says, look, I'm not a great judge. I can be bribed. Um, I, I, I do evil things. I, I'm not an expert in the law. But this woman just won't let me alone. Maybe you have been shopping with your children, young mothers. And they just won't let you alone. And you get to the point where you say, okay, okay, just stop already and I'll buy it for you. You do that because you're frustrated. God does it because he cares about you. You will not wear him out. He will say, okay, if I give it to you, will you please stop? No, we don't stop. We say thank you. And we remember what he's done. Here is what, you know, when I say most persistently, I pray most persistently for the souls of men and women in our community. And I am aware of many who are considering God after decades of going it alone without him. They become trained. They become experienced. They become experts in their field. They are hopeful for their future. But they face a series of challenges that goes beyond all their resources. That their own resources will not get them through. Have you heard that phrase, I don't have a prayer? What it means basically is not that you don't have a prayer. But it means it goes beyond your resources. Or the odds are against you. It may work out that this won't happen. And yet, you continue to pray. You understand that even though the odds are against you, God is for you. And now is a time to pray and to keep on praying until you see what God does. There's no better example for persistence than watching Jesus on the last night before his crucifixion. He understands it's coming. He's God. He even prays very honestly. I'd like to be excused, Lord, Father, Abba, Daddy, I'd like to be excused from the crucifixion, please. Secondly, I'd like to be excused from you abandoning me while I take on the sins of the world. So he prays to his heavenly father and says just that. He says to his disciples, I want you to pray with me. They begin to pray, they, but then they fall asleep. So Jesus is left alone and he prays again. And one of the gospels says he does this three times. 
But he ends this way. Your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus' last words, as he is losing consciousness, he looks up to God and says, into your hands I commend my spirit. He understands that his father is good, even though his circumstances are horror. Horror for him, but redemptive for humanity. For all of us, not just first responders, we have to come to this conclusion. Are we self-sufficient people? Or are we those who recognize that though we have a lot of training and experience, we are aware of the things that we do not know? And we also, if we are aware of things that exist out there that we do not know, how about those things that we do not know we do not know? We are not equipped for everything. And all of your training and all of your experience and all of your titles, hopefully they convince you that you still need help. Even the help of the Almighty and his power and his wisdom and his courage. So he says, I want you to pray. Speaking both to individuals and to the whole church and to every group that gathers that has a sense of trust in God. I want you to pray that God will step in and the Almighty will bring you wisdom and courage that you never dreamed you could have before. Friends, let's do this now. We have on the board the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. I'd like us to do this out loud and then I will close. Do we have the Lord's Prayer there? There we go. I think it's big enough for you to read. If it's in a more modern language, if you learned it another way, don't, don't be afraid. But understand this is a model prayer that teaches us how to be praying. So let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would those first responders just please stand and we're going to pray for you now. Father, thank you for these people. And thank you for the excellence that they bring to the jobs that they have. Thank you for the untold hours of training the ongoing calls that they make where the training just gets filtered through real-life experience. Thank you for the courage they have shown even in situations that we have faced here, homes that burn down, people that are injured, accidents where victims are trapped in their cars and have to be cut out. Lord, the list just goes on and on. Thank you because 
I feel very safe with them around. I know that they are far better equipped than I am to make the decisions for my welfare, especially my physical welfare. And I pray, Lord, that you would let them know how much this community relies on them, appreciates them, trusts in them. But, Lord, also, show them yourself. Because there's a lot we don't know. And you are the Almighty One with all wisdom and power. And may they turn to you the next time it's their turn to run into a situation instead of away from it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.